It's Robin Marshall, America's number one sugar mom, with a couple of stories just to keep you entertained, and I wanted to thank you ahead of time for subscribing to the podcast, because without you, there is no me. Trust you me. I don't think I ever told you about my trip I just recently took to Daytona Beach. Now, I know most men are fully aware of the surroundings of Daytona Beach if they're into race car driving. But me, who really, I've been to one race car track in my life, and it's when I used to work in the automotive parts industry, and I was hired to go into the pit and interview these godforsaken drivers. The noise level alone almost drove me nuts. The mentality of the drivers was nothing I was turned on by. And so since that time, 25 years ago, I've never been to another race car place in my life. I mean, I lived in Charlotte. I was right near NASCAR. I want nothing to do with it. But of all the places in the world for me to choose to go on a vacation, I chose Daytona Beach. I had a beautiful room with an ocean view front, met some wonderful people, had a lawn chair, took it out to the beach, which was very wide from the hotel to the waterfront, laid my chair down, picked up a book, put my earbuds in, and just basked in the sun. I noticed, though, as I was laying there that Occasionally, a Jeep would drive past me or some other kind of car would drive past. And I was thinking, wow, they have some kind of security going on here or these must be people that work on the beach and keep it clean. (laughs) This is, you know, the way I'm thinking. Until somebody stopped beside me in a truck, sunglasses on, big smile on his face, His buddy leans forward, who's in the passenger seat, back window opens up, and the guy smiles and says, so, you collecting tolls? (laughs) I said, wait, what's going on here? I don't understand. Why are you driving on this beach? He says to me, you're laying in the driver's lane. I was mortified. I had no idea that this was a major roadway on a beach. I thought that was back in the day. I didn't realize they still did this in this day and age. So all these cars had been driving around me for the full hour I'd been laying there. (laughs) I told him that would be 20 bucks. I got up and I left. I moved closer to the water. The main reason I chose to go to Daytona was because I really, really wanted to walk. I miss walking great distances, and I know that there's 27 miles of straight beach on that particular beach. And so I began. I walked about 10 miles a day there and back, and every time I'd walk, I'd run into this guy who was jogging, built but older, and would always wave and always say hi. And then finally, one day, he stopped me and said, why don't you come to my hotel? I'm only like, I don't know, five or six down the road. I said, well, you know, I don't really know you. To go to somebody's new hotel when I'm new to the area, you know, I could just meet you on the beach and, you know, maybe we'll have a beer or something. Every time I went to walk from that point on, I would run into this guy. Now, I don't know if it was intentional or if it was just coincidental. He kept pushing and pushing I finally just had to blow him off, you know, figuratively. Oh, 
my girlfriend came to town as well. And she and I are known as the two that would forever be in trouble. Like, if there's any drama to be found, we are in the center. It's like being in the eye of a storm when you're with my girlfriend and myself. (laughs) You know there's got to be a great story coming here. We went to this club, and we had a great time. Met some people, exchanged phone numbers. It was very nice on the water at the end of the beach, worth the trip. We left and got into our rental car. And as we're getting in, some well-dressed man came up to the window of my side. And you could see that he was sort of staggering a bit. And he said, I really need some help. Like, I'm fucked up. Like, I don't know where I live. I I need a ride home. And I look at her, and she looks at me, and she goes, Robin, let's go. And he says, I'll give you a hundred bucks. My ears perked up. I admit, but, you know, I was more concerned for him than I was taking his hundred bucks. But, you know, I have to be honest, it was an inspiration. And he's weaving, and I sort of felt responsible because he approached us. Hundred dollars or not. She says to me, let's go. I look at him. I say, get in. She throws her hands up in the air. (laughs) He gets in the back seat and she says to him, all right, where's the hundred (laughs) bucks? And I said, where do you live? He goes, oh, about a mile and a half down the road. And he goes, I don't have a hundred bucks. So right now we know not only is he high, drunk, or whatever he is, he's a liar, and he has nothing on him. The next thing is a truck pulls up beside me, a big truck, and he opens his window and he looks at me and he smiles. What is it with the trucks in this city? And he says, "Uh, you got my friend in your car. I said, well, he won't get out. He says, well, I'm here to pick him up. I said, well, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to do anything. The guy in the back seat says, I told you I'll give you a hundred bucks. And my girlfriend says, you just said you don't have a hundred bucks. Now this guy, because she just said this to him, becomes unruly. Starts calling us names, telling us we're stupid bitches, that we don't know our ass from our elbow, that we can just go fuck ourselves. And all the other F words and curses that could come out of his mouth came out. He says, I'm getting out of here. And that's when I pushed the lock button. (laughs) Such sweet revenge. I said, so who's the fucking idiot now, asshole? You can't even get out of this car. He's like, let me out of here. Let me out of here. He was just belligerent. I got out. I opened his door and I said to him, get out. He goes, whoa, I like you. This was just the most bizarre situation. And my girlfriend is in shock. And I'm just looking at him sitting in the backseat of my car. And his friend is sitting there smiling, just waiting to see how this ends. He stumbles out of the backseat, looks me up and down, shakes his head, and starts calling me the C word as he heads to the truck. Now, did either one of us deserve any of that? How crazy is that? And if my children hear this podcast, the first thing they're going to say is, Mom, 
Again, you put a stranger in your car, which will take me to story two. Again in Florida, I was traveling with four out of five of my children plus my nephew. We were on Collins Avenue, and if you know Collins Avenue, it's a wide, multiple-laned sort of highway in Florida. But we were in Miami. Don't you know the car runs out of gas? And I shuffle the car over to the side. Thank God I had enough to get over there. You know that feeling when you run out of gas, how stupid you feel, how you allowed yourself to get into that position in the first place with having five children with you? This man comes running up to my window. He looks like almost homeless. He's got a backpack on and he doesn't look really clean. But he comes over and in the window he says, Miss, miss, and he's Cuban, and so he's got the accent. Can I help you? I see you're in trouble. Can I do anything for you? I go get you gas. My kids are sunken into their seats because (laughs) they see this as a potential threat. I see it as a potential wonderment. My God, someone came to our rescue. I looked him up and down, and I said, how are you going to find us gas? Now, I'm trying to qualify this homeless person. And he says, you give me money, I go find a gas station. I take a cab. I find you gas. I come back. I fill you up. You know, it was one of those moments when I look at the guy and he runs his hands through his hair like, why doesn't this lady believe me? I said to him, okay. I mean, what other option did I have? And my kids again are, mom, are you kidding me? Mom, he's going to disappear with our money. Mom. What choice did I have? I gave the guy a $20 bill. He hails a cab. He's gone. I'm sitting there wondering, just like the rest of them, will he come back? You know, the chances were very slim next to none that we'd ever see him again. And they're all berating me. How could you do that, Mom? You know we just lost $20. Now, how are we supposed to go find gas? We don't even know where we are. I just sat there, closed my eyes, tried to believe in the greater good, and don't you know, he came back. He gets out of a cab with a can of gas. He says, ma'am, you let me fill it up for you? I said, sure. I was so happy just to prove my kids wrong. He filled up the gas tank, and as he's filling it up, a bus goes by, and I see his face. And he says to me, ma'am, that was my ride. May I have a ride with you? Every one of their eyes in the car just about bugged out of their heads. (laughs) It was just a moment I wished I had had a camera. And I said, well, the only room I've got is the hatchback. Hop on in. You saw five sets of shoulders go up in the air eyes pointing straight ahead, nobody saying a word, mouths hanging open, and he's climbing in like the happiest guy in the world. Took him to his location, dropped him off, thanked him profusely, and he the same to me. So you see, it wasn't the first time I put a stranger in my car. (laughs) You have to live life a little bit more on the edge in order to have a story to tell, right? Moving on to another recent occasion, New Year's Eve. I threw a party and I decided 
that I wasn't going to do what the normal person does, cater. I was going to cook a six-course meal. Yeah, like why not? I had about 10, 12 people coming over. I bought a whole bunch of alcohol. I made a turkey. I made a beautiful ham. I made two green bean casseroles. And during dinner, somebody got up to warm up some of their food. It was towards the end of the meal, and they opened the microwave, and I realized I forgot to put the corn out. There was still a whole stick of butter in there, and so we lost that. And then about four hours went by, and I opened the oven and realized I forgot to take out the other green bean casserole, which was, to say crispy, is a nice way of describing what it looked like. Surprised I didn't burn the house down. New Year's comes... I forgot to open the champagne. Nobody seemed to miss it, though. Nobody even asked for it. I didn't use the poppers that I bought. And we couldn't find the clicker or the remote control for the TV in the living room to watch the ball drop at New Year's. So we all had to run and cram into my bedroom and watch it on a smaller TV. Other than that, it was a great party. Did you ever play that game, that present swapping game where you get to steal each other's gifts? We had so much fun. I really, really enjoyed myself and everybody had a good time. And I wanted to share that with you that even when you try and do your best and make something spectacular happen, there will always be screw ups. (laughs) (laughs) nobody could possibly be perfect. And I am so far from perfect, it's not even funny. But now it just means I have to have another party next year because I've got 12 poppers that weren't used and two bottles of champagne. And I've had enough leftovers for me and my dogs probably to last through next week. All in all, it was a success. I got to wear a sparkly dress that one of my kids bought for me. Everybody else came dressed up And it's a nice feeling every once in a while to have someplace to go where you're dressed nicely. Don't you agree? I always love to know that at some point during the week, whether it's Friday, Saturday, doesn't matter, that I am able to put on a pair of heels and a pretty dress and do my hair and makeup and look like as good as I get. (laughs) We should do that every single week. It feels good. You look in the mirror and you have a little more appreciation for yourself every once in a while. It's like seeing a gold star that your mom might have put on your forehead. Speaking of our moms, I missed my mom this New Year's. I just spent my whole life calling my parents at midnight. And I know I'm redundant. I've said this before, but I just can't help it. I missed being able to call my parents to say, Happy New Year. I wonder if you have the same tradition. Do you? All of my kids texted me, and I missed the text. Oh, how do I live this down? I tried to tell them all, Well, I mean, you're East Coast, I'm Central. Come on, there's only so much they could believe. But... Now, I'm in the process of getting ready for my next cruise. And here's the thing that kills me. I got a text today from my not middle child, but the next to the middle child, asking if I would want to go on a cruise with her in March. I have never had a child ask me this before. Never. 
And I had to say to her, I don't think I can afford it because I'm going in February. And now I know I've told them all I'm taking a cruise. I know it. But it came as a shock to her. What? What? You're enjoying your life without us? What? You know, there's only so much we can do. We raise them. We try to make them be like us. We give them boundaries and we tell them to step outside of the box. Not to be like us, but to be different. And yet we are outside the box thinking it's just a matter of what degree we will step out, out, really outside that box. And we sort of pray that our children will never be as bad as we are. And at the same time, we hope they will be. I secretly have this vision of all five of my children being so far worse than me that they teach a million life lessons every holiday, that they'll all go to a million schools and talk to children like I did and tell them not to drink and drive and let them hear videos of what they recorded as children for me about drunk driving, all this stuff I secretly hope for. I want them all to be like coaches for football or dance or music or psychology. Let them be a guidance counselor. I'd be so happy if one of my children was a guidance counselor. Wouldn't you? I mean, just to show that what we did and all the effort we went through to make them into who they are today stuck? You've got to be kidding me that you wouldn't want that for your child. No, 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 excuse me. Let me rephrase that. You've got to be kidding me that you wouldn't want that for you. No more living vicariously through your child. This is all about us. We worked for it. We worked for them. The least they could do is be who we want them to be. Am I right? (laughs) Come on. (sighs) Anyway, I'm reaching now, and I don't want to stretch any further than I've gone. I have two little doggies that need to go outside. They don't understand the concept of me sitting here talking to myself, where most people wouldn't not just canines. Even I don't get the fact that there's no paper in front of me. I'm just talking to you. And I wanted to say thank you again for subscribing to the podcast. I mean, really, if you think about it, how could you not? How do you not want to know what this crazy woman is going to say next week? I really, truly, I don't even understand how you couldn't. And I have true appreciation for those of you that have subscribed because I get you. I understand you. The fact that there is somebody out there like me that may be more crazy than you would be enough to make me subscribe. And I understand exactly where you are and your position in life. (laughs) Just know that I love you. And I really am easy to please. Until next week, I got two little dogs to go feed and they are racing around behind me. 
I could have edited that sound out. I'm not really sure I can, but they are racing behind my back. And again, until next week, just know my heart is with you in every single thing you do. It's Robin Marshall, also known as Sugar Mom. Westwood One Podcast Production.